be delivering the fresh bread today. If you don't know what that means, it's a time where um, you can just, someone tells you how, what God's been doing in their life and uh, how he's been working in their life and delivering um, bread to us and feeds us, and we just um, acknowledge that. So yeah, I'm in a discipleship group with Brent Hoskins, and um, he's been leading the group, and um, great guy, I've known him for a while, he used to be a neighbor, but moved away, and um, so yeah, just delivering the good stuff. Um, so I have, uh, my wife and I have five kids through the Kansas foster system, and we just finalized adoption a couple months ago on the three littles. Um, and so that was cool, but through that process, um, God's really taught me how to love and how to care for the kids when maybe they don't want to be cared for, or they don't want to be loved, or um, they're maybe uh, past life they haven't been loved, so they don't know how to love and don't know how to receive love, or they push back. And so he's really taught me how to love and um, kind of pursue kids that don't want to be pursued. Uh, they don't want to be loved. They're like, leave me alone. Um, so a verse that was God was speaking to me, it's, it's in 1 John 4.18. says, there is no love, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfect in love. Um, so kind of like how God loves us even when we push back. It's hard to, to fathom something like that where God continually just pours out love and we're like, hey, I don't want anything to do with you right now. Um, he's just been speaking to me on how I need to pursue my family in love no matter what happens and continually seek them and love them and in that love were perfected, and perfect love produces courage, so he's taught me a lot on courage and strength and character, and also we can't both love fear and the same thing or person. They don't go hand in hand, so um, love really conquers a lot. Um, yeah, so thanks for letting me share with you guys, and uh, I'll hand it off. Perfect love cast out fear. I don't know about y'all, but I can certainly identify with fear, can't you? There's so many fear narratives all around us, and isn't it great that God's perfect love casts out fear? My name is Patrick Johnson. I'm on the leadership team here at Serve Community Church, and I'm going to be opening up the Word of God to you this morning and uh, preaching from the Word of God, and it's a delight to do that. Um, I come humbly this morning. What I'm going to teach about this morning, I feel like I'm a novice in teaching on. So I don't come with a lot of boldness. Normally I'm a pretty bold person and have a lot of confidence in my flesh. This has been a morning where I really had to surrender and just ask God to lead me as I lead you this morning. So let's go to him and uh, ask him to, to be among us. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love. Father, we thank you that your perfect love casts out fear. And we just rest in that this morning. 
Father, I pray that as we open up your word, this, is, this word is truth. I pray that we would be humble, that we would be courageous, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, each one of us, into deeper truth. We are desperate and we're needy, but you are sovereign and you're great. So, Father, would you be among us this morning? Let us decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a, uh, not a series, we're basically just taking the book of Mark and we're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the reason we're doing that is because we are all seeking to follow Jesus. And a part of following Jesus is to learn about Jesus, to learn how Jesus thought, to learn how Jesus acted, to learn how Jesus treated others, and then to follow him in that as his disciple. And so that's the reason we're going through the book of Mark together. A a disciple of Jesus is an intentional, lifelong learner of Jesus. And I don't know about y'all, but when I came to faith in Christ, I thought everything was going to be just up and to the right, right? And that, you know, over 10 and 20 and 30 years, life was going to get better and better and better. And in some cases it has, but often cases we just need to go back to Jesus. And we need to be intentional about learning from him in community and saying, what do you have for me today? And this passage in Mark uh, today, I really think, is speaking to me. It was speaking to me before I knew I was preaching on this passage. So then I get to come and I get to break it open. So it's very real and personal to me this morning. And let me tell you why. Because I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Her name's Sharon. We have a picture of her here. Sharon lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And she and I have worked together for 15 years. Sharon is a godly woman. She loves Jesus well. And she is so skilled and so gifted. She's strategic. She has just had so much impact. And she's always sort of behind the scenes. She and I have done some co-facilitating together. And when she's out in front of people, she's very gifted at it. She's really good. But what she's chosen to do is to go behind the scenes and support others to help make them successful. And she's done it year after year, decade after decade. She is a woman that we would all aspire to be like. So in June of this year, we got a call from Sharon, and she said, I've gone to the doctor, and I have breast cancer. And we were shocked. My team was shocked. Probably thousands of people across the country who Sharon had served were shocked. So what did we do in our desperation? We just started fasting and praying and asking God to heal her. She had been such a huge blessing. So it was easy to cry out to God. It was easy to fast. It was easy to to cry out for a healing. And I'm going to give you an update. I'm going to weave her story in through the stories that we're going to hear today because I think her story is a common, everyday life story of what we're going to talk about this morning. So I have a question for us to consider before we jump into Mark 5 and look at the two stories we're going to look at. That question is this. How do we deal with with our darkest moments. How do we deal with our darkest moments? What does it look like when cancer strikes or when sickness or when relationships are broken or when we struggle with addiction? What does it look like and how do we deal with our darkest moments? That's a question that we're really going to dive into this morning. And I think the two stories that we look at in Mark are going to help us do that. So if you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bibles. We're going to be focused on Mark 5, 21 through 43. 
And we're really just going to finish up the, the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. But let me do a quick review from last week. So Jesus and his disciples had crossed the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, Morgan taught us last week, they came upon a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus came and he healed this man. This man lived in the cemetery. He was cut off from community. He was cutting himself. He was in a desperate situation. Jesus comes in. He heals the man, sends the demons into the pigs. They rush over the cliff. And the villagers come, and they're just begging Jesus to leave. They're afraid of Jesus. Jesus has impacted them economically. But the man is sitting there in his right mind, clothed, and he's found wholeness and healing. And he asked Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, nope, I don't want you to go with me. I want you to go and share the good news of what I've done. And, Jesus, and he does. He becomes an evangelist for Jesus. He goes about the Decapolis, which is 10 cities, and shares what Jesus has done in his life. So Jesus is healing. And as a matter of fact, that's part of Jesus' earthly ministry. Sometimes we just focus on the birth and the death of Jesus, but in between the birth and the death, there was the life of Jesus. And Jesus walked on this earth, and he healed. He, he, he interacted with people, untouchables. And this is a story that we just saw of Jesus doing that. So we pick up the story from that, and we have two stories that we're going to look at this morning of Jesus healing, okay? And the first story is the story of a religious leader, and that's found in verses 21 through 24 of Mark 5. It's a story of a religious leader. So let's read that together. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So here we have Jesus. He goes back across the Sea of Galilee. He comes back over to a more Jewish populated nation and a region. And basically, here's a man named Jairus, and he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. A couple of things about Jairus. Number one, he was a well-respected religious leader. He was the head of a synagogue. And he probably had close ties to the Pharisees as well. And if you knew anything about the Pharisees in Jesus' days, they were opposed to Jesus. So even though he was a leader, he led a synagogue. He probably led a school. He led a church, a synagogue. He taught people. He was very well respected. He had pressure on him from the Pharisees not to follow Jesus, not to bow down to Jesus. But yet something happens to him that he comes, and, and at a great risk for him, he comes and he falls at the, fight of, at the feet of Jesus. Why? What happened? What caused a man who was a religious leader who a group of people opposed Jesus. What caused him to come and fall at the feet of Jesus? The next two verses tell us. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So we find out the reason that this man is so desperate that he's willing to risk reputation is because his 12-year-old daughter that we find out later, she's 12 years old, she's dying. She's sick. And he comes and says, I don't care about my reputation. I don't care what, what the religious leaders say. I'm desperate, and I need Jesus. And so he comes, and he falls at Jesus' feet. So if you look at the story of Jairus, the way I would describe him is he was a part of the in crowd. He was a part of the community of people who were the well-respected community of the day. He was considered a clean person. He's a religious leader. He was probably following, he was following the uh, pharisaical laws of the day. He knew the laws of God in the Torah. He was following them, so he would have been considered a clean person. But we also see that even though he was a part of the in crowd, he was considered clean. At the same time, he was desperate. 
and he had faith in Jesus. There was something about this Jesus, the passage doesn't tell us, but he had heard of Jesus, maybe he had seen Jesus doing miracles, but there was something that was so um, attractive about Jesus that he was willing to risk his reputation and go and fall at his feet. So that's the first story, a part of the in crowd, the clean person who was considered desperate and had faith in Jesus. Well, let's move to the next story. It's found in Mark 5, 25 through 34. This is the story of a sick woman. The story of a sick woman. Picks up in verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So Jesus is going with Jairus to heal his daughter. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here we have a woman who comes up to Jesus And what the scripture tells us is that she had been bleeding for 12 years. She seemed to have an incurable disease. It had been going on for 12 years. And it says in the passage, she suffered a great deal. So let that sit with you for a second. She suffered a great deal. She went to doctors and tried to get healing. She did that for 12 years. She probably went from hope to hope to hope to hope. Maybe this doctor has the right answer. Maybe this doctor has the right answer. And it says she had been to so many doctors, she spent all she had. So we also know she was poor. She had no more resources. There was no more hope in the doctors that she went to. I want to go back to that idea of suffering. Because she really suffered. The illness that she had, according to the Levitical law or the law in the Old Testament, would have made her unclean. What they think is that she suffered from some kind of menstrual or or uterine disorder And that made her ritually unclean. She was considered an unclean person, like a leper in a lot of ways. And and I went back to the Old Testament and looked at the laws that surrounded this. And they said that when a woman was suffering from this, that, that you couldn't even sit on a chair she had been sitting on. Or you could not touch her. Because if you touched her, then you were considered unclean. You took her uncleanliness on yourself. So in her day and age, she was an outcast. She was like a leper. She had no community. She had no hope. She had no money. She had no community. When it said she suffered a great deal, she suffered a great deal. So what do we see in this woman? Let's go to verse 27 and 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So what a great miracle, right? She's the story of a sick woman. So let's go to the next slide. She was an outcast. She was considered unclean. She had no community. But like Jairus, she was also desperate and she also had faith in Jesus. But unlike Jairus, she didn't go up and fall at Jesus' feet. She didn't make a frontal assault at Jesus. She said, because I'm unclean, And he'll reject me because the law says that he can't touch me. What she did, she says, if I can just go up behind him and if I can just touch the hem of his cloak, I will be clean. I can see her. She's pushing through the crowd. There's this crowd around Jesus. And she goes, I can't afford to go in front of him because he'll reject me. But I'm just going to reach out and I'm going to touch the hem of his garment because she had such great faith that she thought if I just touch it, there's something about him that maybe this is the hope that will come to fruition. An outcast, unclean, poor, 
no community, but yet such a great faith in Jesus that she came and she took the risk of touching the rabbi and making him unclean so that she could find healing. And I love what happened next, verse 30 and 31. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from, out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's a great story. It's a great story. Because in some way, Jesus knew that power had gone out around him. Even though people were pressing all around him, he knew that something special had happened. And so he turns around and he says, who touched me? And here you have this image of this outcast, unclean, no community woman who comes out and she falls at his feet. She was trembling with fear, but yet I love what it says she does. She told him the whole truth. She came out of hiding. She said she didn't try to make up some kind of story like I fell into you, Jesus. It was by accident. You know, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry I made you unclean. But she came and she fell at his feet. And it says even though she was trembling with fear, she told the whole truth. And then the hero of the story, Jesus, what does he call her? What does he call her? He calls her daughter. Daughter. I'm going to heal the daughter of Jairus, but you, the unclean and the outcast, you are a daughter of mine. It says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. As I thought about these, these two stories, the story of Jairus and the story of the sick woman, what I thought about was there's a story of us all contained in this. There's a story of us all. And what's the story of us all? The story of us all is that there's a common desperation within each of us, whether we identify with Jairus or we identify with the sick woman. The reality is if we can come out of this image management that we do as a, as a Westerner in the United States in Prairie Village, if we can get real with each other, the reality is, just like Jairus and just like the sick woman, there's a common desperation within us all. Maybe some of us identify more with Jairus. We feel like we live in Prairie Village. We have great jobs. We've got it all together. You know, we're the socially acceptable. We're in the in crowd. But yet we know when we lay in our bed at night, the brokenness and desperation of life. I can't tell you how many times I've laid in bed and thought, I've never thought I would be where I am. I'm so blessed, but is this all there is? Is this a good life? Or maybe we're going along great and then something like cancer or death or divorce strikes. And then all of a sudden, this nice little manicured world that we've created crumbles. You know, if you really think about it, we're one moment away from utter realized desperation, aren't we? It can be a doctor call. It can be a financial setback. It can be a divorce. It can be a death. We're one moment away from really understanding the depths of our desperation. I think we're just great at hiding it. 
But there might be some among us who are like the sick woman. Maybe we've been knocked down by life over and over and over again. Maybe we've gone from hope to hope to hope to hope, thinking this would be the solution, but yet the addiction's still there. The brokenness is still there. And we think that there's something that we're going to get involved in that's going to be the new hope, but yet we just see the desperation like the woman over and over and over again. The point is, there really is a common desperation within all of us. So my question for us all this morning is this, where's your point of desperation now? At this very moment, if you're really honest with yourself, where's your point of desperation now? Is it a death? Is it a sickness? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? But if we're really honest and we come out of hiding, then what we'll find is there's a point of desperation for each of it. It is the human condition. It is the human condition. So that's the first point is the story of us all is there's a point of desperation in each of us. The second part of the story of us all is that for each of us, genuine faith requires action. Faith that is not put into action is no faith at all. So you look at the story of Jairus and the sick woman. Both of them overcame fear, and they put their faith into action. Jairus, by going up and begging Jesus, the sick woman, by going up behind him and just touching the hem of his cloak. They had faith, but yet that faith required action. And if it's not a faith that leads to action, then maybe it's not a faith at all. And I think we can get so caught up in this, is that we know the right stuff. We know we assent to all the right things, but if we go and live our lives as if, and not putting that faith into action, then is it real faith or is it just mental assent to a bunch of truths that we know because we're good people? In James, it says the, the, the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. They have a faith. They know who Jesus is, but yet there's no action to that faith, obviously, and they shudder. Same for us. If we, have, if we say we have genuine faith, then we have to overcome our fear and our struggle, and we have to take that genuine faith, and we have to go straight into that desperation and face it with Jesus. That's what Jairus did. That's what the sick woman did, and they were healed. And I thought about, like, why don't we do this? Here's the question that I started thinking about, and Morgan and I were talking about this. Why do we turn to Jesus last within our desperation? Why do we turn to Jesus last within our desperation? And I thought about three reasons we do this. I do this, you do this if we're honest. Number one is because when we're not walking with Jesus and we don't see him healing, right? There's not a physical Jesus around us, and we get to hang out with him. We get to see him healing. Because we would probably think if we could just see him do it, then we would go up to him and we'd fall at his feet and say, heal me. And maybe true, but maybe that overestimates us as well. But the reality is we don't live with Jesus, so we don't see him daily. So that's number one. Number two, because I tend to lean and we tend to lean on our Western uh, independent mindset. You know, if I'm sick, I go to a doctor. My wife's a doctor. If I'm sick, I go to my wife. If I'm struggling financially, I go to my financial planner. He's sitting here today. Okay, if I'm struggling, uh, if I'm struggling spiritually, I go to my pastor. He's sitting here today. I mean, we have such an independent Western mindset and we say, you know what? When problems come up, when desperation hits, we can fix this. We're just going to do something about it. And so what happens in those situations is Jesus becomes your Hail Mary pass. 
that when you've exhausted every single thing, then all of a sudden you sort of say, okay, I'll give it to you, Jesus. And it's like he becomes like your last resort. And here's the third reason, which I think is even more subtle, but I think it's more dangerous and I think it's more deceptive. It's because I don't want to take the risk of being disappointed by God. I don't want to take the risk that if I put myself out there and I go to the feet of Jesus and I cry out for healing in this desperate situation, I don't want to take the risk of being disappointed in God if he doesn't do what I ask. And it sits there and it causes us to doubt and to fear and we can't really go and lay ourselves bare before Jesus like Jairus did and like the women, woman did. So back to Sharon for a second. I was talking to Sharon yesterday, and she said, that, uh, well, let me tell you what happened. So she, we were praying for God to take away the breast cancer before she had surgery, and that didn't happen. She had to go in. She had to have surgery. So we were praying for the surgery, and we were saying, God, let them find it. Let them take it out. Let it be over with, and let her heal. And when they went in to take it out, what they found was that in 10 of the 13 lymph nodes, they found traces of cancerous cells. The surgeon was surprised. The doctors were surprised. 10 out of 13 lymph nodes. And I'll never forget, she sent the email out after she had come out of surgery, and she said, well, it wasn't what we had hoped for. And that was an understatement. It was like a, a blow to this community that was praying for her. So what happened was she goes to a church in Atlanta. The pastor, uh, he was praying in his inner closet, and he heard God tell him, I want you to do a prayer and healing prayer service for everybody in your church who needs healing. So on Sunday night, he said, we're going to do a, a prayer and healing service. They don't do that, so that was a risk for them. It was a large mega church. 800 people show up at this service to be prayed for, 7 to 800, okay? Sharon didn't go. She wasn't feeling well. She'd heard about it. She'd watched the service on TV, but she said, I don't feel well. I'm not going to go. And about some time into the service, she gets a text from one of the pastors. Her husband, Joel, got a text, and he said, I think Sharon needs to come up here, and we need to pray over her. And so they say, well, we've got to go do it. So they go up there. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know there's seven to 800 people there. They walk in the door, and the pastor of the church comes up to her, and he tells her, when I was sitting in my closet and God told me to do this service, he said that it was for you. And he said that you don't need to be disappointed in him. And Sharon said, I didn't think I was disappointed in God, but when he said that to me, I realized at that moment that was true. I was disappointed with God, and I felt spiritual healing at that moment because I called it out, and I admitted it. I confessed it. 700 to 800 people being prayed for, and she found spiritual healing in her soul because she was willing to push into the fact that, yes, I'm disappointed with God, and I'm willing to admit it, and I'm willing to be healed of it. And she found spiritual healing. We're all desperate. And we all have faith in Jesus. Let's put that faith into action. So let's finish the rest of the story. We go to Mark 5, 35 through 43. So he's going to Jairus. He's going to heal Jairus' daughter. Here's the woman. 
He heals the woman. Listen to what happens next, and we'll close with this. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. So can you imagine being Jairus at this moment? You're, with, you're on your way with Jesus. Your 12-year-old daughter's sick. You know she's dying, and somebody walks up to you, and they says, you know what? Your daughter died. Can you imagine the shock of that news? Can you imagine the hopelessness, the gut punch you probably feel when that was delivered? And here's Jesus who knows exactly what he's feeling. And what does he do? He looks at him, and in Jesus' mind, there was both hope and promise in a desperate situation. Jesus saw beyond what Jairus could see, and so he looks at him, and he says, you know what? Don't be afraid. Just believe. In other words, he was calling his faith up to a new level. It's not just healing the daughter now. It's now, can you raise my daughter from the dead? He'd never seen Jesus do this before, but Jesus knew that there was hope and promise. He knew where the hope and promise existed. It was in the person that Jairus was looking at. And so he said, don't be afraid, just believe. So what does Jairus do? Does he say, no, Jesus, it's over. I'm going home. I'm going to mourn my daughter. In verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. That's Jesus didn't let anyone follow him. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, so Jairus went with him, he still believed, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. In that culture, when someone died, they paid people to come into your house and cry and wail. So there was all these ceremony around it. He went in and said to them, while all this commotion and wailing, this is Jesus talking, the child is not dead, but asleep, but they laughed at him. So here's the crowd, they have no faith in Jesus. They laugh at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the three disciples who were with him, and he went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So here we have the hero of the story, who comes in and has the ultimate victory over death in this little girl's lives. And he takes these people into the inner room with him. When the crowd's outside laughing, he takes them into the inner room, and the hero of the story, the hope and the promise, says, guess what? I'm going to defeat death. And he raises the girl. And Jairus got to witness one of the greatest miracles of the world because he wasn't afraid and he followed Jesus in with his faith. So here's the application. There can be a different story for each of us than the story we're in now. And as we were praying this morning before the service, some words came to me and to Morgan and I wrote these down. Here's the different story for us. We can move out of hiding and hurting to the hero for healing. We can move out of hiding, go back, and hurting. So we have to come out of our hiding and hurting. If you're facing addiction, come out. You don't have to hide. We're all addicted to something. If you're hurting with illness or broken relationship, you don't have to hide. 
You don't have to keep it in the darkness. You don't have to hurt alone. You don't have to suffer greatly like this woman did. You can go from hiding and hurting to the hero, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who could see through death that, you know what, I'm going to overcome death. I'm going to overcome these things. He's the hero of the story. And perhaps if God delights, you will find healing. But here's what I know. Even if we don't find healing, if we come to the hero, that's enough. There may be seasons of our life where he chooses not to heal and we die. But you know what? If we're in the presence of the hero, that is enough. There may be times where we see him do miraculous things and he heals. But guess what? We don't celebrate and we don't, we don't bow down to the miracle. We bow down to the miracle maker. So regardless of whether he chooses to do, we don't have to be disappointed because if we're with the hero, he is enough. So my point is we can live into kingdom authority. Jesus, the same Jesus that did exactly what we saw in these two stories is the same Jesus that we pray to on our face. And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, I invite you not to trust in yourself or all the things we trust in, but I invite you to come out of hiding and hurting to me and let me bring my kingdom into your life on earth as it is in heaven. We have kingdom authority. The second thing, we can live in kingdom authority together. It's not something we do in isolation. We are not the hero. We are desperate, broken people. We're Jairus, who is desperate and broken, or we're the sick woman who is desperate and broken. So we come together as a desperate community to a Jesus, and we say, your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just like Jesus took the three disciples and the mother and father in with the little girl, we do it in community. And we want to be a community at serve that has great faith and comes out of hiding and hurting. And we come together to the hero and we find healing. So I'll finish Sharon's story of what we know so far. So that night when she got prayed for, They had found more cancer, and it spread to the lymph nodes. So after she had gotten prayed for by the pastors of the church, the pastor said, there's something else I heard God tell me. I want you to be baptized tonight. Jesus has been walking with, I mean, Sharon has been walking with Jesus for decades. So it's not a baptism of salvation. He said, I think God wants me to baptize you. And he baptized her seven times. Remember the story in the Old Testament where Naaman comes, and he's a leper, and he goes, says, go and dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And he goes and he's healed. Well, this was way outside the pastor's comfort zone. It was way outside Sharon's comfort zone because everybody thought she was receiving Christ, but she hadn't. You know, and he kept dunking her. So I don't know if they thought she really has to receive Christ. Like she's really broken. <laughs> but it, and, and we don't know. But here's what we do know is a couple of weeks later, she did a full body scan and they didn't find any cancer in the rest of her body. Now, I don't know if it was the dunking. Only God knows what that is. And listen, she's taking chemo and radiation right now and she's walking through hell. So it's not like the suffering's all gone. But we have a lover of our soul who invites us into his presence. He is Emmanuel, 
God with us. And he says, you know what? Come out of hiding. Come out of hurting. You're not going to be disappointed in me. If you're in my presence, I'll lead you through whatever valley you're going to go through. I'll lead you beside quiet waters. I'll restore your soul. And that's what he invites us into. So the question for all of us is, are we going to take our faith and are we going to put it into action? And so we're going to have a chance to do that today. And this is what we're asking. Uh, We're going to come up and take communion. And while we're taking communion, before you come down for communion or after you get through taking communion, Whitney's going to be on one side in the back. I'm going to be on the other side in the back. If you want us to pray for you, for something that you're struggling with, for something that you're desperate about, then come and just let us pray. There's no magic in our prayers. All we're going to do is take you into the presence of the hero and ask on your behalf for him to move. It's not in what we do. It's what he does. And we're not going to tell him what he's going to do. We're going to sit with him and say, you're enough. But we want to plead for your sickness, your addiction, whatever it is, whatever your desperation is. And listen, I am a beggar leading other beggars to bread. I am just as desperate as you are. Or if you have somebody in your life that is struggling, Come let us pray for that person. Maybe you're the gyrus and you need, so you need to lead us into prayer for somebody else. That's okay. We'll pray for that person too. But let your faith be genuine and lead to action if God calls. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and let's start getting the band to come back up.